Thank you for listening to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. We pray that as you listen to the following message, that it will encourage you to continue to connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and with others. Psalm 109. Psalm 109. Before I read it, I'd like to pray. I'll give you time to get there. Let's go to the Lord to pray. Oh Lord, we worship you on this historic day and are glad and grateful to do so. To be reminded that you are the God who helps us deal with the pain of tragedy is both a comfort and an encouragement to us. You have seen us through our national tragedies, tragedies like 9-11, tragedies like the explosion of Challenger, tragedies like the assassination of President Kennedy, civil war, racial discord, And even more importantly, through Jesus Christ, you have provided a way for us to overcome the greatest tragedy of all, our greatest tragedy, the tragedy of our sin and its consequences. So we bow to thank you and to worship you. Now, Lord, on a personal note... I must confess to you what you already know and have long known, so there's no need for me to try to hide it from you. I'm angry at someone, a man, a man who has said some wrongful things about me, a man who's tried to hurt me with his words. Now, I know that in spite of my feelings toward this man, you love this man. And to be honest, Lord, the fact that you love him brings me great trepidation. For I must admit, I do not like him. Nor do I love him. Nor do I think I will ever love him. And I know that I should forgive him what he's done. He has not and will not apologize, yet I understand you still want me to forgive him. And I confess that I have tried and failed to forgive him. Lord, there's no need for me to try to hide this from you. You already know it anyway. Be foolish for me to try to hide it. But I don't love this man, nor do I want to forgive him. Perhaps someday I will, but right now, I won't. And that's why I'm throwing away all pretense and I'm offering a prayer to you that reflects how I really feel. This man, this man I'm talking about, I want you to kill him. There. I said it. 
I want you to kill him, Lord. I do not want you to save him. Kill him, Lord. In the Bible, you kill people. So I'm asking you to kill him. And soon. Make his children fatherless. Make his wife a widow. And may he die leaving them with nothing. And may there be virtually no one at his funeral. Now you tell us to ask and we'll receive. You tell us that if we say to this mountain, be removed into the sea and we have faith like a mustard seed, whatever we ask will be done. So I'm praying to you And I'm asking for you to kill him. I realize you may not kill him. And so, Lord, if you won't kill him, then I pray that you'd take his job away from him, leaving him broke, unemployed, his children hungry, his marriage strained, his wife resentful. May they lose their home. May they lose their self-respect. May I have the joy of seeing them line up at the food line begging for bread, and may I be the one who gets to lock the pantry door in front of it. But I want you to know I'd rather you kill him. Finally, Lord, will you bless me for I'm trying to do what I think is right? In Jesus' name, amen. I can see it. (laughs) Did my prayer make you a bit uncomfortable? Were you surprised that I asked God to kill somebody? Take away his job? My prayer make you cringe just a little bit? Make you wish you hadn't joined the church? Some of you brought some folks I've never seen before. I'm assuming that those were guests. Are you glad you brought them today? You wondering how you're ever going to get them back here? Now let me read another prayer. Psalm 109 is a prayer. O God whom I praise, do not remain silent. For wicked and deceitful men have opened their mouths against me. They have spoken against me with lying tongues, with words of hatred. They surround me. They attack me without cause. In return for my friendship, they accuse me, but I am a man of prayer. They repay me evil for good and hatred for my friendship. Appoint an evil man to oppose him. Let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he is tried, let him be found guilty. May his prayers condemn him. 
May his days be few. May another take his place of leadership. May his children be fatherless, his wife a widow. May his children be wandering beggars. May they be driven from their ruined homes. May a creditor seize everything he has. May strangers plunder the fruits of his labor. May no one extend kindness to him or take pity on his fatherless children. May his descendants be cut off, their names blotted out from the next generation. May the iniquity of his fathers be remembered before the Lord. May the sin of his mother never be blotted out. May their sins always remain before the Lord. That he may cut off the memory of them from the earth, for he never thought of doing a kindness, but hounded to death the poor and the needy and the brokenhearted. He loved to pronounce a curse, so may it come on him. He found no pleasure in blessing, so may it be far from him. He wore cursing as his garment. It entered into his body like water, into his bones like oil. May it be like a cloak wrapped around him, like a belt tied forever around him. May this be the Lord's payment to my accusers, to those who speak evil of me. But you, O sovereign Lord, deal well with me for your name's sake. Out of the goodness of your love, deliver me. For I am poor and needy. My heart is wounded within me. I fade away like an evening shadow. I'm shaken off like a locust. My knees give way from fasting. My body is thin and gaunt. I'm an object of scorn to my accusers. When they see me, they shake their heads. Help me, O Lord, my God. Save me in accordance with your love. Love them. Let them know that it is in your hand that you, Lord, have done it. They may curse, but you will bless. When they attack, they will be put to shame, but your servant will rejoice. My accusers will be clothed with disgrace and wrapped in shame as in a cloak. With my mouth, I will greatly extol the Lord in the great throng. I will praise him for that he stands at the right hand of the needy one to save his life from those who condemn him. It's psalm. It's a psalm. Psalm is a hymn. This psalm, which is a hymn, is a prayer. It's spoken by a person to God. Now, Christians believe that all of the Bible is inspired by God, so if that's you, you must believe that this prayer, which, by the way, is remarkably similar to my prayer, is inspired by God. Therefore, it is a biblical prayer. The third century theologian Athanasius of Alexandria, Egypt, said this. He says, most scripture speaks to us, but the Psalms speak for us. So most scripture speaks to us about God, But a scripture like Psalms 109 speaks to God for us. But what about Psalm 109? Does this psalm speak to us? Did you hear it? Did you hear it? Do you think that it trains us in the way that we ought to pray? Is this the way we ought to pray? 
Do you see yourself praying this psalm? Look over it again. Do you see yourself praying this psalm to Jesus, Lord? (laughs) Kill him. Wouldn't you agree this psalm has a problem? And I know some of you don't want to think that anything in the Bible has a problem. Don't you think this psalm has a problem? This psalm has a problem. It's what some call a hate psalm. It sounds hateful. I mean, now there's part of it that I can see myself and probably you can see yourself praying. I can see myself praying verse 30. With my mouth I greatly extol the Lord. In the great thong I will praise him. I can see myself praying that. I have a little more trouble with verse number one. Oh God whom I praise, do not remain silent. I'm a little hesitant to talk with God that way. Sounds a little arrogant to me. But try praying verse seven. When he, that is the one who has spoken ill of me, is tried, let him be found guilty. Or try praying verse eight. May his days be few. May another take his place of leadership. Or verses 9 and 10, may his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. May his children be wandering beggars. May they have ruined homes, driven from their ruined homes. It's kind of hard to imagine praying that, huh? Hello? What if... What if one of our worship leaders, Matt, Barry, Missy, Chris, Brother Paul, what if we got up on most Sunday mornings and prayed like that? Lord, you know what that deacon said about me last Thursday, so if you would just kill him by next Wednesday, I'd be good. You see, a, a prayer like this, a psalm like this, if we, can, if we take it outside of the Bible and we don't even realize that it is in there, it offends us. It's not the way we're taught to pray. You see, the trouble with Psalm 109 is, is that not only the psalm prays that way, but we, we encounter this kind of praying throughout the psalms. Let me give you some examples. Psalm 5, verse 10 Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Because of their many transgressions, cast them out. Or how about uh, Psalm 10, verse 15. Break the arm of the wicked and evildoer. Or what about Psalm 137? Speaking against Babylon, the devastator of the nation of Judah, the psalmist sings in verses 8 and 9, Happy shall be the one who gives you what you have done to us. Happy shall be the one who takes your little babies and dashes them against the rock. It's in the Bible. And what highlights this problem is that there are other verses of Scripture that teach us to do just the opposite of Psalm 109, to have an attitude that's just the 
opposite of Psalm 109. For instance, Leviticus chapter 19, verses 17 and 18. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall not avenge or bear grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Or Exodus chapter 23, verse 45. If you find your enemy's ox or donkey wandering away, you shall surely return it to him. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying under its load, you shall refrain from leaving it to him. You shall surely release it from him. Or Proverbs 24, verse 17. Do not rejoice when your enemy falls and do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles. Or what about Proverbs 25, verse 2? If your enemy is hungry, feed him. So does Psalm 109 really help us pray? Is this kind of praying consistent with the Jesus who said, love your enemies? Pray for them who persecute you and spitefully use you. What do we do with a psalm like Psalm 109? Daryl Johnson is a Baptist pastor who serves up in Canada. And when he's talking about psalms like Psalm 109, here's what he says. He says, quote, I submit to you that psalms like this one are not only appropriate for us to pray, but they liberate us to pray authentically. He says, I submit that psalms like this one liberate us to obey Jesus' radical command to love our enemies. And he says, I submit that the church's aversion to praying psalms like Psalm 109 is one more indication that we tend to play games when we pray. Oh, we play so many games. We Christians do. I wish I'd said it first. I didn't. It was a song, I think. But I think it aptly describes me too often. Maybe you. We find ourselves like the soldiers playing games at the foot of the cross. (laughs) The psalm has a problem. But it may teach us something. Perhaps it teaches us this. God likes honesty. He likes for us to be honest, even with him. You see, first, first off, there's a, this basic conviction in this, all of the psalmists that all of life is to be brought into our relationship with God. Now, it's not, it's not that there's anything wrong with rosy prayers. We all pray those. Anytime you hear me pray, it, it probably won't be rosy, but it's not going to be like the one I prayed in the beginning of this sermon. I dare say you've never heard anybody, me or anybody else, pray a prayer like that. Kill him. If you ain't going to kill him, take his job away. Shouldn't be too hard these days. (laughs) Kill him, Lord. But God likes honesty. Imagine if I feel this way towards somebody, and God forbid that I do, but if I do, and there are going to be times when I don't like somebody... I'm assuming that you probably have worn those shoes too. I'm assuming that. Now, if I don't like somebody, can you imagine how long it takes God to get over the laughter, the uncontrollable laughter whenever I act like I don't have a dislike towards somebody when I'm praying? God, I love you. I praise you above all creation. 
My heart is pure. I don't want to do anything but worship you this morning. There's not an ounce of hate in my being. And God is saying, why? You see, God wants us to be honest. The psalmist offered their victories, their defeats, their love, their sorrow, their complaints, their hate. They offered real life. They did not believe in going into the church and leaving all of their baggage at the front door. You've probably heard me say that's what we ought to do. I'm sorry. I just flat was wrong. You know, we need to just leave all that baggage out there. We're coming in here to worship. You can't do that. You can't do that. It's like cutting your foot off and leaving it out there and then picking it back up when you go out. You're not going to do that. We can talk about it, but you're not going to do it. First off, it's dishonest. That's one of the reasons why when you read through the Psalms, there seems to be no order there. You'll run across one psalm that's just, I mean, it, it just lifts up everything that you want to believe. And then right out of that, when you go into another psalm that ends up with no resolution whatsoever, Walter Brueggemann, the great Old Testament professor at Columbia Theological Seminary, said that there are some psalms that are of orientation. You, the, the psalmist definitely has a certain mindset, a certain belief about God and how life works out. And he said, then in the next psalm, there's a psalm of disorientation. Everything that the psalmist has believed has been turned upside down and he's trying to desperately recapture something of what he lost. Read them. There's no set order there. Philip Yancey said this, he says, taken together the 150 Psalms in our book of Psalms is as difficult, disordered, and messy as, here it is, life itself. Which is exactly what they're trying to tell us. They're singing and they're praying about real life. And real life sometimes is really rosy and it's wonderful and exciting and, 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 and sugary. Sometimes life is like that. And we don't need to throw that away ever, but sometimes it's just flat sour. Eugene Peterson said this, he says, It is easy to be honest with God with our hallelujahs, but it is somewhat more difficult to be honest in our hurts. And it is nearly impossible to be honest with God with the dark emotions of our hate. So we commonly suppress those negative emotions. Or when we do express them, we do it far away from prayer or far away from the presence of God, or at least we think we do. But C.S. Lewis says prayer needs to be honest, that the psalmists are telling us prayer must be honest. C.S. Lewis says this, he says, the prayer that precedes all prayer should be, may it be the real I who speaks and may it be the real you that I speak to. God likes honesty. Next, God can handle it. You know, sometimes I think we treat God kind of like we treat our, our, our preschool children. We don't want certain things said around them. We don't want certain pictures displayed in their presence because they're not 
old enough nor mature enough to handle certain images. That's true. But it's not true about God, even though there are times when we are so tiptoeingly careful about what we say when we think we're around God. God can handle it. He's not afraid of our emotions. He's not afraid of the deepest, darkest thoughts that you'll ever think, but you wouldn't want anybody in the church today to know about. And the Psalms free us to express our anger and our revenge and, yes, our dislikes and, yes, our hates. The psalmists bring their white, hot anger and they leave it in God's just mercy and in His merciful justice. But in order to leave it, they have to express it. And that leads me to the final thing I want to say here, and that is the Psalms provide the key. These Psalms, the problem Psalms, the hate Psalms, they provide us the key to enabling us to love our enemies. I can't love my enemy as long as I'm harboring and holding on to with a death grip the thing that made him my enemy to begin with. In order for me to love my enemy as I love myself, I have to somehow be pried loose of the thing that made him my enemy to begin with. That's very difficult. In fact, it's impossible outside of God's grace. This week I was working on our gas grill. You see, I made the mistake a couple of years ago of believing that if you buy a gas grill that's a fairly nice one, it will last for an eternity. When you die, you'll be able to carry it to heaven so you can have hamburgers and barbecue up in heaven. And it will never rust and it'll never decay. And the elements on the inside will never get brittle. And so the first time that Amanda went out to cook a hamburger... One of those gourmet hamburgers she makes and only one of the eyes came on and only half of it came on. I realized my grill was not made for eternity. And so I had to work on it this week. I had to order some parts. They came in the mail, FedEx. I couldn't find the parts at Walmart. This grill was made by a company that ensured that they were the only ones who had the parts that I needed. That way I couldn't get it for $4.95. I had to pay for it. They came in. I went out to the grill and I had to pry some things apart. I had to borrow some nail, I mean some bolt cutters from Jerry Watson. They wouldn't cut the bolt. (laughs) Jerry, they wouldn't cut the bolt. I haven't even talked to him about it yet. They wouldn't cut the bolt, Jerry. You know what I had to do? I used his bolt cutters to do this. I had to pull the bolt through the hole. The bolt was not supposed to go through the hole. It's supposed to cut. I had to pull it through the hole, leaving a bigger hole. When I got through, finally, with all the debris and all the mess, I had stuff all over me. It was all over my hands. It was on, I don't know how it got on my cheeks, but it got on my cheeks. It was on my shirt. It was an old shirt, but it was all over my shirt. It was on my jeans. I can't wear those jeans anymore. Except to clean out a grill. (laughs) Amanda said, you're not going to church looking like that. Hillary said, you're not going out to eat looking like that. 
My whole family said, we're not going to be seen with you out in public with you looking like that. And Amanda said, on top of that, you smell like you look. <laughs> there were so many things I couldn't do because of what I had, the mess that I had gotten all over me. And so what I had to do, I had to wash, or at least have washed, the shirt and the jeans. And I had to take a shower, a long one. When I thought I was through, I, 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 I had most everything off of me, but in my fingernails, I still had the black soot. So I had to turn the shower back on. But I finally got it all off. I got it. It's all out of my shirt. It's all out of my jeans. It's all out of my fingernails. It's no longer on my cheek. Amanda will go out with me now. <laughs> Hillary will be seen in public with me now. They sniff at me to make sure I still I smell okay. Here's what I'm trying to get over not too well. I had to get loose of that stuff on me in order for opportunities for fellowship to be open for me. The same thing works with our hate. God doesn't want us to hide our hate. He doesn't want us to take our shirt and instead of taking it off, all that dirt and throwing it away or hiding. He does, and he doesn't want us to put another shirt over it as if, see, you don't know what I've got on under this shirt. Is it that old dirty charcoal shirt? No, it's not. It's not because that wouldn't work. I had to get that dirt out of it in order for, to, for an opportunity to go out. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so in order for you and me to be useful in our, in our relationships, we have to let the dirt of our hate and our revenge and our dislike be released. To whom? To God. Let Him have it. Let Him have it. Let Him have it. And when we let Him have it, that frees us to be used by Him to love our enemies without the yuck. You see what I'm saying? Do you hear what I'm saying? If we don't do that, we're left with bitterness. Oh God, do help us to throw away the facade. But not so that we can relish our hatred not so we can swim forever in our revenge. But Lord, help us to be honest with You so we can release to You those things that have made enemies of our fellow mankind. Help us to release that so that we can be free to love our enemies no matter who He is no matter what she's done no matter what they've said no matter what religion they claim lord help us to show others the love of jesus lord we can only do that by letting you have our hate take it take it lord Take it. 
Take it, Lord. <laughs>